0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Is it worth it? There's a comedian, a guy by the name of Nate Bargatze. And he recounts this time going to Mount Rainier up in Washington. And he gets to Mount Rainier and he finds out, what do you know? It's all uphill, hiking it. He says, it's a nightmare. And they're making their way slowly up. When he sees some folks coming down and he says to them, like, do we need to go any further? I mean, we don't have to live on this mountain, right? We get the gist of it. We can see pretty well from right here. Is it worth it going up to the top? You ever been in a place like that? I mean, when you're a kid, this is like every family vacation, right? It's practically in dad's job descriptions, okay? We're gonna protect the family. We're gonna provide for the family and we're going to drag you on all sorts of things that you do not want to go on, right? And you're taking the kids along, we're going on this hike, we're happen- this is happening right now. I mean, this is practically every Tinetti family vacation. I take the kids, all right, here we go, guys, we're doing this. And every kid is always wondering, this had better be good, right? Is it worth it? St. Paul, in our epistle reading today, is raising this question as well, but with much higher stakes. He's writing to the Roman Christians who are on their own journey, the journey of faith, the journey that you and I are on as well. And they are facing the prospect of persecution, and wondering to themselves as they look at that future, wondering, is it really worth it to keep following Jesus? Is it really worth it to go this way of faith because it is arduous and it is hard and maybe we just need to throw in the towel? And Paul's answer to that question is emphatic, even as it is surprising. Is it worth it? Nah, he says, it's not worth it. What? He says, no, no, no. It's not worth comparing the suffering of this present age to the glory that is to be revealed to us. If you're trying to set up the struggles that you are enduring right now and placing that up against the future glory that awaits you and me, so no, it's not worth it. It's not worth comparing because so great is what is yet to come that when you look back on the hardships that you endured in this life, you'll be like, "Ah, no big deal. Really, Paul? How could that be? Well, in order to get at that, in order to to fortify and to justify that reckoning of his, he gives us a glimpse. Paul climbs up to that mountaintop, atop that arduous, hard journey, and he looks out on the future glory that awaits the people of God. And with that mountaintop vision, then he imparts it to you and me so that we could see So that we could see even just in a small glimmer, just a little bit of what awaits us so that we would be strengthened in faith now and know to the deepest part of our being that it is worth it. And so I want to lift up three parts of this mountaintop vision of our future glory, three three parts of that vision that are highlighted in our readings today. Those three parts are this. Justice is rendered that bodies are redeemed, and that creation is renewed. Let's start with that first one, that justice is rendered. This is especially brought out in the story that Jesus told in today's Gospel. Jesus tells a story, he tells a a, a parable of a man, a farmer, who who sows his seeds. He goes out, and and as he does alongside, at the eternal lament of farmers and gardeners everywhere, alongside the good seed that he plants, there are also what? Weeds. Weeds. The weeds are growing up, and and spiritually speaking, these weeds stand for all sources of, of sin and lawlessness and brokenness and evil and injustice in the world. And so as Jesus tells the story, the the wheat grows up and alongside it, the weeds and the servants of this farmer go out to him. And they say, hey, listen, there's weeds in here. Let's get out there and gather it all up. And the farmer, the gardener, God, says, no, not so fast. Not so fast. Now pause there for just a second. Because I think that this is a story that is so relevant for you and me today that we can relate to. Because when we look around at our world and in our own lives... It's weedy, isn't it? And I'm not just talking about all the stores on US 31. Although maybe that's part of it. It's a slow burn. Did I miss my calling? In your life and mine, we deal with all that pain of brokenness of suffering, of struggle, of death. And the question, the complaint of God's people from ages past is, Lord, why don't you do something about it? It's not fair. The psalmist is crying out, why do the wicked prosper? How easy it would be for you to come and uproot those weeds once and for all. Let your wheat grow. But God doesn't. Why doesn't He? Because He says, He says in the story, he, He says throughout the Scriptures, Because I don't want to uproot my wheat along with the weeds. And furthermore, he holds out the eternal hope that some of those weeds will yet be transformed into wheat. That all is not lost. And that his heart, in fact, is that all would be saved and gathered into his great harvest. And so he says, no, no, I'm going to put up with the weeds for this present time. But this isn't just a grin and bear it kind of message from our Lord. Because, atop that mountaintop vision, the vista that we see of our future glory, it's also of justice rendered. Our Lord promises that a day is coming when He returns, when He is going to settle all accounts, when wrongs will be righted. When evil will be dealt with. When he will shake out this old world the way that you shake out a rug. And all the dust and dirt and all those sources of sin will finally be shaken out in full. When he is going to settle the score and restore his righteousness. This is what we call judgment day. And judgment day for you and me is not a day to be feared. For those who have trusted in Christ, it is a day to look forward to. Because it's the day when God is going to put the world to rights. When he's going to fix this broken world. But until then, we bear with the weeds. It's part of the struggle of this journey. It's true. But there's more to say still. So atop that mountaintop vista, that vision that we see of our future glory, we see justice done, judgment rendered. Not only that, though, we also see bodies redeemed. Bodies redeemed. It's in this life, we groan, our bodies groan, amen? Amen. Knees creak, backs ache, brains get foggy. Now I see some of you adjusting in your pew. You're like, yes. It's so true. And on top of all of that, the scripture says because we have the spirit in our hearts, we have this, this sense of longing, we realize that things are not the way that they're supposed to be, that our broken bodies are not the way that they are supposed to be. And so we also have that longing for things to be put right, for our bodies to be put back right. Although... For some people, the solution is not that at all. For many through the ages, including some professing Christians, they've said, no, no, the solution is just to get rid of these bodies. That the body is the problem. Okay, this goes back to to Plato, and there was ancient Christian heresies called Gnosticism. Don't need to remember this for the test. But suffice it to say that people through the ages have looked at the body as the problem. And what we need to do is just to cast off that body. It's like the, the husk of the corn. Get rid of that husk. Our our soul is what really matters, and the soul is like the bird in the cage, and that what finally happens, what we look forward to, is that that bird is going to be released. When we get rid of our body once and for all, and we're just pure soul, pure spirit. And there's some truth to this. It is true that our soul is the essence of our humanity, but it's not true that your body is merely incidental to who you are. God created you as body and soul together. All the way back in the very beginning, he brings forth Adam out of the dust and then breathes into him the breath of life. It's both dust and wind, body and spirit. That's what it means to be, to be a human. That's who you are. But in this life, we are groaning because our bodies are broken as a result of sin. And so the solution is not to just get rid of this body. The solution is for God to fix these bodies. And this is the promise that we have in Christ Jesus. The promise that we have is that God is going to do for you and me what he did for Jesus on Easter Day. Even as Jesus was raised from the dead, not as a ghost, not as a, not as a spirit, but as a resurrected, glorified, indestructible body. So he will do for you and me at the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. That's what you and I are looking forward to. That day when God comes down and stoops down and breathes on our graves and brings us forth from the earth. And when he does, our lowly body will be transformed to be like his glorious body. That's what it says in Philippians 3. Our lowly bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious body. No more knee creaks. No more back aches. No more brain fogginess. Because God, God's in the business of upcycling. Do you know this word? <laughs> I did not. My dear wife Ann taught me this word, upcycling. You're familiar with recycling. Recycling is where you, you take some stuff, There's you know, some trash or what have you, and then you, you throw it into the blue bin instead of the green bin. And lo and behold, it turns into paper or wheels or something great down the road. Recycling, it's wonderful, you should do it. Upcycling is this idea that you take that same kind of stuff and instead you reuse it and turn it into something even better, more beautiful, more useful. You've got that pair of of torn jeans, but it's torn jeans no more because now, now you're going to put buttons on it and frilly things. Upcycling! Okay, as you can tell, I haven't done it yet, but... Where am I going with this? Well, you're going to be the frilly jeans. Yeah. God is going to make your lowly body into something still more glorious. He's not just going to trash this body of yours and say, Okay, free now, bird, Free. Just be a spirit, be a soul, be a ghost, float around in the clouds. But instead, no, it's not a frilly and floaty future that awaits you, but it's an embodied one. Where God upcycles your body, resurrects it, renews it, and gives you an indestructible, glorious body like we have in our Lord Jesus. Why is it worth it? Because you will be resurrected and renewed. And not just that either. So we have this mountaintop vision when God is going to render judgment. He is going to redeem our bodies. But not only that. He is going to restore and renew all creation. The whole physical creation. Because listen, if we can feel and hear that groaning in our own bodies, how much more so in the rest of the world? You go for a a walk in the woods, and you hear not only your knees creak, but all the trees are creaking. This summer, as we have looked around, there has been smoke so often in the skies wafting through. Creation groans wildfires in canada and throughout the world creation groans flooding in new england creation groans tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes creation groans and many in our world today would look at all that and they say well yeah it's it's just climate change this is just what it is and i'm not denying that there might be something to that right i mean humans managed to muck up all of god's good gifts we shouldn't be surprised by that but if that's all we say We're missing something much more profound and to the point, which is this. As Paul says, creation has been subjected to futility. It's in the bondage to decay. The problem is not ecological, but theological, see. Ultimately, it's bearing and toiling under the curse. And so what God is going to do for you and me when our Lord Jesus returns as he did for Jesus at Easter, so he is also going to do for the full physical creation. Paul put it this way in Romans 8, he said it will be set free. Creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. For you science nerds out there, the second law of thermodynamics is going to be reversed, right? You're like, yes, yes it is indeed. Entropy is going to be undone. No more is there there going to be that sense of things just going worse and worse and worse. But instead, God is going to reverse that curse and make creation new. That's the promise of our Lord Jesus. That when he comes again and he renews all things, that's what he says. He says, behold, I make all things new. I will fix this broken world and make it as God originally intended it to be. This is the mountaintop vision that we have in that great, glorious hymn, Joy to the World. And we think of this as a Christmas hymn. That's what we associate it with. But the the composer, Isaac Watts, didn't write it to be a Christmas hymn. It was just a kingdom hymn inspired by Psalm 98. And what we have in that hymn is this glorious vision. It says, joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains, all of creation, repeat the sounding joy. And he goes on to say, and we sing, No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Join me. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, Far as, far as the curse is found. It is Christmas in July this week, just so you know. Far as the curse is found, as far as that curse has seeped into creation, so deep does the blood of Jesus seep into this broken earth and restore it, along with God's good creatures, along with you and me, his people whom he has claimed and reclaimed and renamed In holy baptism and by his blood. Amen? Amen. That's why it's worth it. Because justice will be done. Our bodies will be redeemed. And all creation will finally be renewed. And in light of all of that, what sort of people are we to be? What's our our attitude toward the future? (sighs) There was a great theologian and missionary, a guy by the name of Leslie Newbegin. And he was asked this question. He said, Sir, <clears throat> Dr. Newbegin, sir, uh, as you look to the future, are you optimistic or pessimistic? It's a good question. One that all of us should ask. As you look to the future, are you optimistic or pessimistic? And his answer is one that we ought to hearken to and take to heart. He says this, are you optimistic or pessimistic? He says, no. He says, no, I am neither optimistic nor pessimistic. Why? Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. I'm hopeful, which is different in kind. See, as you and I look to the future, We're not just optimistic, glass half full. We're not just pessimistic, oh, things are bad. We're hopeful. And what hope does is it holds together the brokenness of this world and the promise of a being set right in Christ Jesus. Both those things, looking up to our Lord. Because in this life, the journey is hard. Jesus said no truer words when he said, in this life you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so as we wend our way, as we climb that mountain, we do so, so often not being able to see the summit, much less the vista up at the top. But if we could see, what would be the point of hope, Paul says? Who hopes for what he sees? But instead, you and I are people of hope. Even when we can't yet glimpse that greater future. We'll get to the top one day. And when we do, and when we see all that God has done, we'll say, oh, was it worth comparing all of those past sufferings to this present glory that's now realized? Ah, It's not worth it. No, in this life, is it worth it to walk and follow our Lord Jesus? As my mom used to say, you bet your sweet Bippy. <laughs> Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.